Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. One thing the Internet has done, and I think most people would agree with this, is that it's made for a smaller world. We're more connected. We learn about cultures faster. And we're able to start replacing prejudices with personal experiences. And, and we also benefit from this phenomena with different spiritual traditions. Other traditions, perhaps, which we once thought were strange, we compare them to our own after we learn about them a little bit, and we find that they may not be that much different from our own beliefs. In fact, perhaps we're looking at the same puzzles, the puzzles of why we're here, how to improve ourselves, the world, and we're reaching much uh, of the same conclusion as other spiritual traditions, and this is an exciting development because it shows the commonality, I think, of truth. Now, many people may not have much exposure to one spiritual tradition, and this is Peruvian shamanism, which is the topic of today's show. We're going to try to find what we can learn from shamanism. Now, one of the clearest voices on this subject is our guest today, Bonnie Glass Coffin. She's an internationally recognized professor of anthropology at Utah State University. She has studied with Peruvian Coriandos since 1982 and is the author of two books. Her last book is entitled Lessons in Courage, Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday Life, which she did with Don Oscar Miro Quesada. I'd also like to point out that she received the Eleanor Roosevelt Global Citizen Award in 2010. And this other award that maybe I could ask you quickly about, Bonnie, which caught my attention, which was the Dean's Giraffe Award for sticking your neck out, which I thought was really, really pretty good. Anyways, first of all, welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Bill. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be having this conversation with you, and I'd be happy to tell you about sticking my neck out if you'd like to hear more. Yeah, well, well we're going to get to that because I, I thought that was a really a clever award, and, we need, and I think we need more people sticking their neck out uh, for, for something. Uh, we have a lot of people who, who don't have the courage to, uh, mm-hmm. to try something different. Now, before we talk more about giraffes and sticking your neck out— um, <laughs> First of all, for the listener who may never have heard of the term shamanism or maybe maybe just have heard passing references to it, what is shamanism? Thanks. I'd um, be happy to define that quickly for our listening audience. Um, shamanism is um, sort of the, the, the first uh, the first faith tradition, the first spirituality, the first religion. Shamans are understood as being mediators between the worlds of the seen and the unseen on behalf of the human communities that they serve. 
and uh, shamanism really is found in ancient traditions, but it's also found in the modern world to the degree in which we can all reclaim the divine essence in ourselves and recognize our role as co-creators of this beautiful world in which we live and in which, and to the degree that we can take that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding and serve our communities in order to restore our planet and to restore our societies and restore ourselves to perfect wholeness and health. So that would be my sort of nutshell definition. Of yeah, the that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a heck of a, that's a heck of a good definition there. <laughs> I thought you put it really well. I, I you know this notion about sort of a mediator between the seen and the unseen is is clearly a very rich topic because it first of all assumes that there is an unseen world which mm-hmm. some people would dispute in the modern science uh, grouping but I think most people would uh, agree that there is an unseen world so the shaman is somebody that has been trained to uh, to understand the connection and to make use of this understanding is that is that is that what it's about? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you said the key word right there, which, which is connection, right? Any spiritual tradition is about recognizing the connection between ourselves and something greater than ourselves, however we want to define that, something greater than ourselves. And I think most of us on this human plane um, are sort of hardwired to seek out that feeling of greater connection. And that's really what shamanism is all about, is to um, viscerally, viscerally feel and understand and celebrate and honor that connection and then share that wisdom with um, the folks who, who continue to yearn and maybe haven't awakened to that in themselves. You know, the connection it, really is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and when you think about it, most spiritual areas most spiritual practices and most religions are all about connecting to a higher source they do it in different ways you know the contrast we can make with western religions and many of them you know we pray to a higher god to make us better people to bring us to a better place to bring us to heaven and it really is is sort of common it seems to me across religious and spiritual traditions but what's exciting I think about the shamanic approach is that it's something all of us can benefit from this is not sort of an exclusive type of of practice is that right absolutely and that's one of the reasons that shamanism is so uh, rich and so relevant for the world today I mean, and that's why I call it sort of the first religion or the first faith tradition back in the days when all of us were hunters and gatherers and, you know, there was no such thing as a stratified society. There were no haves and no have-nots. Everybody kind of had equal access to, uh, you know, the, the, the basic stuff of life. Um, everyone had the potential mm, through periods of, of training and reflection and uh, sort of deep communing with the natural world in which they lived to awaken that sense of divine within, if you will. And, you know, with the arrival of state-level societies, that that role sort of became the role of priests 
and became the role of prophets and and uh, was sort of taken taken out of of the sphere of the everyday. And so as we practice shamanism in the modern world, it's bringing that awareness of the divine within, of that ability to co-create our worlds back into the individual in a way that we can become empowered again. Religions are great. They give us great guidelines. They gave us great moral traditions. They can provide great communities. But to the degree that religions move us away from the awareness that we carry that same power within, they can be improved upon by reclaiming shamanism for ourselves. Yeah, that's really well put, Bonnie. And the there is a contrast here that I think we need to draw out, and that is shamanism in many ways to me has some overtones of Eastern religion where there is a connection uh, between the self and the great mind or Brahman. And... That, and this is something that is a personal journey. It's something you do yourself. You don't ask somebody to pull you along uh, the journey. You, you still could ask for help, but it seems to me that what we have lost sight of a lot in, in religion, at least the way it's taught in a traditional sense, is that the, the uh, courage and the journey to a better self is something we all need to do individually. It's not something, it, it's not as if you could plug a program into your brain and says, okay, make me a spiritual person, and the next day you're gonna be a spiritual person. Um, and I think that that's something that really is appealing to me, and I frankly, I think that's where our society needs to go. I think we need to, to, to better appreciate the depth of these of these spiritual traditions that really look to the individual to get their act together so to speak i couldn't agree more i mean it's all about doing our own work as right. you said and i think one of the problems with modern society uh, particularly our own is that we're so uh enculturated we're so socialized as you said to just be able to sort of plug in to whatever it is you know uh the the media or whatever the hype of the day is and sort of have instant gratification right. and you know we're we're really we're really attuned to instant gratification and the problem with instant gratification is that we don't do our own work and really that is that's the problem and that's the solution as well to be able to remember that as you say you know it, it's a, it's about having the um, setting aside the time setting aside the time and being willing to go deep within and unplug in order to be able to hear the silence, to be able to do our own work. And I like how you equated shamanism with Eastern traditions. There's definitely, I think, more of a sense of that connection within as opposed to looking for the God without, you know, or outside right. of us. That's definitely a key to shamanic practice. There is one difference, I think, and that maybe I think shamanism uh, is sort of more akin to Taoism yeah. than maybe yeah. Buddhism or, or yes. Hinduism per se, because it's that sense of really remembering the earth upon which we live as a model. In fact, that we are all born of and from the earth. We don't have to transcend anything in order to reclaim ourselves as spiritual. We, all, we have it all right here. We simply need to wake up, look around, 
look at the models of the natural world and remember that we're part of that beauty. Yeah, and I think that one thing I want to highlight here uh, for the listener that I think is extremely important in my, in my mind, and that is we all, we all sort of make bets in our lives uh, on, on, on spirituality. Some of us don't pay any attention to it. Some of us follow what our parents did and go to church and pray. Some of us may uh, meditate, uh, adopt Buddhism or, or uh, Hinduism or Taoism or whatever, but we're each sort of making, making a bet. For example, the atheist movement, the Richard Dawkins movement, you know, they're making a bet that there is no God, that man, uh, humankind can figure out the world themselves, that science explains everything, and they're making a bet. And that's, and that's the way that's the way they're living their lives, and, and that's what freedom is about, I think. But there is another bet I think you make, you place, where you, uh, where you uh, assume that there is a one spirit, there is a one mind, there is a unified consciousness, whatever we want to call it. Okay, we can call it God. Uh, we call it the source. That there is such a thing, and our and our task in life is to align ourselves with the source. Now it sounds a little touchy feely, except for the fact that it's common across so many other traditions, such as Taoism. You just mentioned, you know, this whole and I mm-hmm. saw so many commonalities uh, in the in in your book, Lessons in Courage, on this, where it's the alignment of the self with the great originating mystery, which I want to ask you about, uh, that is really the key. So, so what do you, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, we forget that we're, we all are placing a bet, but some of us just don't know we're doing it. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. And it goes to back to what you were saying a few minutes ago about, about that all is mind, you know, the greater mind. Right. Um, the equation of mind as source, or you know whatever you want to call it, the greater originating mystery source, you know uh, the uh, whatever term you use, because ultimately the power that we have in our life still is to choose how to perceive the world, right? Right, right? And that's what you're talking about, placing the set. And really, one of the things we talked about in the book is that healing really is very, very easy. Healing is about training, and this is what shamanic training is about as well. It's about training and disciplining the imagination so that we recognize that what we think manifests, and we recognize that we have to be very careful about the images that we hold in our mind because they're powerful. So the shamanic healer learns how to discipline the imagination even in the face of the chaos that is swirling around, whatever life circumstances might be, is about holding that center, disciplining the mind, placing that bet, recognizing that as we align to that knowing, we awaken great power in ourselves. And then the other part of healing is about raising the vibration. However, we understand that to be working with those energies and we raise that vibration, work with those energies through a simple act of gratitude, right? Of recognizing that we are part of something greater than ourselves. Whether, however, we, however we, we understand that to be, right? And that 
we depend on something greater than ourselves. And as we honor that, and as we come to count our blessings, right, as many of the religious traditions talk about, as we learn to walk in gratitude, right, those relationships that are cultivated as we project ourselves and present ourselves as grateful in the world can only help us as we call upon whatever that greater connection is to transform the world for good. Yeah, that's good, and I think you put it in terms that are down-to-earth, which is really one of the challenges here. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Bonnie Glass Coffin, uh, the co-author of the book Lessons in Courage, Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday Life, and we're talking about what we could all learn from shamanism. Now, Bonnie, before we, we delve a little deeper into shamanism, uh, how did you get involved in this field? Oh, that's a great question, and I guess the answer to that depends on if you want me to look at my life and project it forward or project it backwards. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I was a projecting, um, and what I mean by that is as I look back on my life, and I think a lot of us do this, I recognize it as pieces of a puzzle that are falling into place and really uh, allowing me to walk the destiny that I came here to do, right? right. Of course, I didn't have that insight at the time. Uh, what I knew at the time was as an 18-year-old, I was an exchange student to Peru. I, I went with a high school exchange program called American Field Service, AFS. I lived for a year with a Peruvian family, and I uh, had friends who were very... Um, uh, who told me stories about shamanism, and I became very interested in a mindset that, as you started the show by saying, you know, that presupposes that there's something beyond our corporeal existence. And that became something that I really wanted to learn more about. And so I went to college and graduate school, determined to um, learn more about this culture and these people and this, these experiences that I had had. And so I both uh, uh, studied, studied anthropology as a way to get back to Peru because I had loved these people and this culture and also to learn more about shamanism because that was the piece that really intrigued me while I was there. So I got a master's degree and a Ph.D. and I became kind of an expert on female curanderas. And um, uh, then my dear brother and friend Don Oscar, Miro Quesada, um, sort of found my work and uh, called upon me to share some of the things that I knew with with his um, apprentices, and then he touched my life, and I had some of my own transformative experiences where I moved from just being uh, someone who studies shamans to recognizing that they had something to offer to my life, uh, which being an intellectual took me a long time to come yeah. to that. Yeah, that is... <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is that, that is a problem. That is a problem a lot of us have. I mean, we are really, I mean, I can speak for myself here. We're really uh, logical, intellectual types, mm -hmm. and 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 to sort of peel that away mm -hmm. and sense the truth or the power of some of these spiritual traditions is not that easy. And when you were talking, it really it really uh, brings to my mind the importance. Of, of being in in a in a 
culture, or I'm going to use the, uh, the social my, the social milieu, the, 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 the field where other people are more open to things like this. It just, I think it just engenders a greater understanding. Uh, so I, so, and, and I want to, I want to emphasize something here that you alluded to earlier that we, I really want to connect a little bit more. And that is, you know, I think all of us at some point of our lives have this yearning for something more. And I, I alluded to it earlier, this, I think that's what draws people to religion. I mean, even, even the atheists in the world, they're really not atheists in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I've read a lot of science books and it's, it's amazing to me that these guys that get their spiritual up, uplifting from nature in many yeah. ways, they are pantheists. Pantheists being yeah. folks that believe nature is God. Uh, there's yeah. there's one book that I use in my own book. Uh, it, I I I, I, re- I refer to it's called the Dreams of Reason by I think Henry Pagel, and he says that the laws of nature are God. And so yeah. we all sort of get it from 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 some other source or or, or from some source, and uh, the goal is to is to make use of it or, or, or find the path, find the path to connect with it. Um, yeah. And so, so this, this, um, now I'd like you to talk a little bit more about the, the connection and, and how one sort of gets to the point where they could control more uh, the scene by, mastering the unseen this yes so why i'd I'd, I'd be okay okay so why don't you address yeah yeah now why don't you address that because that is so that's so important and it's it's so similar to other sort of quote-unquote new age concepts but this this has a much deeper tradition so why don't you talk about this notion of of uh matter matter being the effect not the cause for example that whole thing Sure, I'd love to. Um, and and just to start off, I'd, I'd like to go back to what you were talking about, you know, the past a moment ago. And, and, and really, I think one of the keys, again, it gets back to this issue of perspective, right? Um, as, as Don Oscar um, quotes a, a, um, a, I don't know if it's a Navajo or a Hopi saying, it's a, it's a Native American saying, and I apologize that I don't know the origin, but he quotes it a lot and he says, the longest journey that we will ever take is the 17 inches from our heads to our hearts. If you resist, you know, moving from your head into your heart, that place of feeling, that place of sensing, that place of alignment, that place of connecting, that journey can take lifetimes. If you recognize, you know, the perfection of the present moment and of your connection with the present moment, then you're already there. And really, that's, that's, that's the nugget, that's the basis of how uh, this connection begins, right? And it's one of the things we talk a lot about in our, in our book, Lessons and Courage, Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday Life. It's, it's actually sort of a how-to manual, if you will, um, that, that helps readers sort of answer those big questions in our lives, those challenges that we all face. You know, how do I make sense of my suffering um, how do I recognize my connection to something greater than myself? How can I possibly open my heart to love when I've been so wounded? How can I really reconnect with Source 
And how can I heal myself and the planet through this alignment, through these connections? And, you know, one of the things that we do in the book is we provide um, sort of small exercises, spiritual practices that people can do in order to awaken that connection. In the first place that you begin, of course, is that concept of aligning, of communing, of deeply communing with that which is beyond ourselves. And it begins with breathing, right? And in many, many spiritual traditions, that's uh, really key, you know, Um, the sense of just stopping feeling yourself, breathing deep, imagining, again, not in the sense of something that is that is um, a myth, but rather in the sense of taking the imago, the image, and imagining an opening of a beautiful golden shaft of light that connects you to the heavens and to the realm of that which is beyond us. Yeah. And then imagining ourselves opening and connecting deeply with the earth, with that which is you know, below us, and feeling ourselves as what um, scholars talk about is the axis mundi, you know, the, the pillar of life, the center pole, right, which is key in shamanic tradition. So, so, if, a, so if a person wants to sort of begin this first step, mm-hmm. uh, and so, and I, it sounds very similar to, to meditation, if not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to I want to point out something that I think is is sort of important here before I turn this back to you, and that is we could view this as an experiment. For those who don't believe any of this has any weight to it or any validity, you could view it as an experiment. And I think what you'll find is that there is sort of, there's a freedom and there is a, there's, there's no barriers to this connection. In other words, when you go down this path, and I'm probably the world's worst meditator, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried, and I maybe maybe it's so easy that I don't realize I'm doing it, or maybe I'm just sort of I have a deficiency in meditation or something. But uh, but when you when you do it, you do feel there's a connection, and there's no barriers, and there's no stopping it. So it's, so to me, it's a good experiment. Because it shows that there's something real there, that there that there is some kind of that there is a a greater basis. So, I started off this my little comment here by suggesting that perhaps it would be good for you to just sort of give a quick tip on you know practically speaking, what would somebody do on this to check the alignment or to or to sense or to sense the connection. Right. Well, the first thing would be to find a place to just be still. Right. Whether you're sitting or standing or lying. I'm not a very good meditator either. The whole straight back thing and I don't get along very well. (laughs) Um, But so find a place where you can just be still and begin breathing deeply. And with every breath in, breathe in your willingness to receive. And with every breath out, breathe out gratitude, just thankfulness for the blessing of whatever the present moment is. And just practice that deep breathing from the the bottom of your belly, recognizing that as you breathe in, you're really breathing in 
spirit, right? In so many religious traditions, the breath is really the sense of connection with spirit. Yes. And that's where the experiment is. You know, you just you just start deep breathing, right. but intentional breathing. So being willing to receive and offering gratitude. Yeah. Being willing to receive and offering gratitude. And so that's the place where we begin communing. And if you do that for even a number of minutes, you may feel a real shift in your body, a shift in terms of the way you're thinking about the world, a, just, a, just a, a sort of an opening, a, a maybe a small expansion in the way your body feels, right? Right. And then the other piece to this alignment, of course, is to be willing to forgive ourselves, right? For Because, of course, you know, one of the things that keeps us separate is this sense of I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I, you know, I, I did this, I should be doing this, I should, 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 would, would, would kind of thing. Right. And there's a, there's a ritual that we talk about in the book, and a lot of the practices that we talk about in the book, which is what makes it so shamanic, is about, you know, doing rituals, right, to actually remind ourselves of our connection with the earth through practicing rituals as ancient ones practiced as shamanic cultures practice. That ritual helps focus us in ways that sometimes we can't get focused with meditation because our mind keeps chattering or whatever it is. And if you concentrate what you're doing on, you know, uh, making an offering, on um, walking with intention to be present with every step, on um, giving gratitude with your breath, you know, then then you move into that meditative space without even thinking about it, because you are concentrating on actually doing ritual. Yeah. And one of the rituals that we we offer for people to do is a ritual that helps us to really uh, solidify, concretize um, what we do when we learn to forgive ourselves and recognize, in fact, that we can. Um, experience ourselves as sacred. As Aldous Huxley said, rolling in the muck is not the best way to get clean. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we have to we have to take ourselves out of the muck by being willing to forgive ourselves. Yeah, that's, and that I, also helps yeah, keep in their life. I would like to um, explore this in a in a concrete manner. Mm-hmm. First, this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Bonnie Glass Coffin professor at Utah State University in Anthropology. We're talking about Peruvian shamanic wisdom and the book she co-wrote entitled Lessons in Courage. Now, this is this is a shift that's occurring right now in our world that is subtle, but I think it's rising, and that is many folks in the in in the meditation world or the spiritual world over over the over time you meditate you pray but you go back to the same sort of imprisoning mechanical mechanistic world in other words mm-hmm. it's sort of like well you could have those fine thoughts but you can't change reality you know reality mm-hmm. is terrible and so mm-hmm. and so a lot of spirituality it uh, can be like a drug, basically. You, it, it's an escape from reality, but mm-hmm. this is different, 
And this is what is changing here. And maybe I'm the only one who thinks this, but at least it's better than nobody. But what appeals to me about shamanism here is that where we are really talking about changing the real world and about changing yourself, right? And this because this is where this is where the shaman comes in and this connection between consciousness and what we know it is as the world. And so in your in your experience since you've been doing this, have you noticed real changes in in your life? And first of all, have you done that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um just want to read one quote from the book, and then I'll talk more about the changes in my own life. Uh, and you said it so beautifully. Um, but the great work, which really is what we're talking about, the great work is about awakening to the knowledge that it's consciousness that, you know, structures matter, not the other way around. Right. It's not that the world is a bleak, bleak place and we can't change it. Yes, in fact, we have the power to change it. Well, we have to do our work in order to get to that place where we can actually believe that. Right. And that requires us, you know, aligning and then consecrating ourselves as holy and then composing graceful rituals and then connecting, right? Right. Connect in. And this quote that I want to read from our book says, The great work is not so much about changing the world as it is about changing oneself in the process. One's greatest gift to humanity is being free of oneself, right? And that's where we get back to this issue of the difference between, you know, thinking and mind, right? Often we have these sort of scripts that are running around in our head that um, are about self-loathing and about projecting that blame or projecting that sense of being a victim out into the world. And that's what we want to change. And that's what we can change by going through these processes where we first align, you know, through this process of breathing, very concrete, something that anybody can do for a few minutes a day. And then, you know, we, we consecrate ourselves as holy by, by consecrating every act that we do in the world as being worthy of intention and relationship building. And we compose these graceful rituals. And that's really what shamans do, is they compose rituals. And in the particular Mesa tradition, it's about composing an altar, you know, a place that we can use in our home to sort of bring us back to the awareness again. And we do that through, you know, just basically finding objects in nature and um, with love and with intention and with recognition that, that, that we are part of something greater and we're cultivating a relationship as we learn to sort of walk in gratitude. And then we connect in. We connect in with all of those previous elements um, in a way that really allows us to unleash the power of our minds to recognize that consciousness and science is structuring matter rather than the other way around. And that's really what the big shift was for me. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's also important to observe here that science itself is going in this direction although although they're doing it in a very sterile, impersonal way. 
-hmm. and, and, and specifically, I mean quantum theory, which is the topic everybody always brings up when we get to this point, because in quantum theory, uh, most physicists concede a connection between consciousness and the physical world. Okay, okay so they still do it in a, in a impersonal way. There is still a separation between consciousness and the object of study, which would be the physical world or the wave function. But mm -hmm. there are more and more people, such as Amika Swami, Fred Allen Wolf, Bernard Hash, yours truly, who, who goes the other direction, which is, which okay. is to basically say that quantum theory simply proves the truth of spiritual traditions, okay. like mm -hmm. shamanism. And okay. then we then we have the whole uh, intention um, body of work that was made famous by Jack Canfield and mm -hmm. many others, including The Secret, et cetera, et cetera, where we think that you know we could that we could affect the world. But I think that this that this shamanism, though, as you pointed out in the beginning of the show, is like the first religion. This is this is like this is sort of like the model. For connecting the unseen, which we can call the mind, consciousness, soul, we call it all sorts of other things, uh, and 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 the physical world. So so we're not making something up here. I mean, I I don't like to have people on the show who who we're going to be talking about something you know that that we can never use. This is sort of where things are heading. The the one term that you use in the book. You use this term remembering with the hyphen. Can you? What does that mean? Remembering the hyphen part of that. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's intentionally. Um, it, it, it intentionally has a double meaning. Right? Okay. Remembering, as in the sense of of, of reflecting upon and, and coming into awareness again. Right. Aha! I remember that this is what happened before, in the way that we normally use it. But the way that we hyphenated intentionally in the book, and this is one of John Oscar's trademarks in terms of his own teaching, is because we are members of some greater whole, right? And it's not that we're not part of that greater whole at every moment in our lives. It's that we forget that we're part of that greater whole. And as we come into this place of, of consciousness, right, of awakened consciousness, and I want to tell you one really brief story about how this happened for me, right? Yes, This go is ahead. kind of my signature moment. Good. But um, as we come into that sort of place, we um, we claim again, so remember in the, in the sense of claiming membership, claiming a right, a birthright, as whole, as members, right, as, as um, one body. Right, with 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 that which is without and beyond us, the within, the without, the above, the below, the self, the circle. We remember, we claim, we put our stake in the ground, we reclaim, we recognize, we rethink. Right, how our relationship is. We remember ourselves as part of the greater whole. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, so we so we go back to our origin. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And we go back after making the big journey uh, through life 
with uh, thinking that we're separate, our separate egos, yeah. and and but we make it with with our arms and legs and and bodies as opposed yeah. to just being sort of lost in the spiritual realm. And yeah. let me try to say this as practice in concrete terms as possible because we can get lost in sort of mysticism here, mm -hmm. and that is we basically realize that we're one big family. That's the way I look yeah. at it. We're one big family, and, and if you go back to all the great religious books, including the Bible, the New Testament, you know, it's the brotherhood of mankind, and treat, you know, treat everyone the same and as you would do unto others, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we go back to the same point, but I think that what we're doing here is this is a little deeper, Bonnie. You know, I think that this is this is sort of understanding the roots. And what's so exciting about it is that, among other things, is that we're reframing these old problems in different ways, but we're coming to the same conclusions, which yeah. uh, which I think which I think is is fantastic. Now, I I want to. Uh, turn a little bit to a to something related to what we're talking about, but this relates to health and illness, because mm -hmm. part of one of the chapters in the book is called uh, Healing Body, mm -hmm. and you have some really you and Don uh, Oscar have some really I think clear and simple things to say about how this relates to health. So mm -hmm. what does shamanism tell us about the source of illness and what we can do mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Well, shamanism reframes um, illness as being out of balance, right? right. Being out of balance with uh, what we've been talking about, with that awareness that we are part of one body, in fact, that we are part of a greater family. And as you said, you know, um, every religious tradition, and and native peoples as well. You know, they, they talk about stones and, and, and plants and, and um, four-legged and tall ones, trees, as their relatives. And there's a reason that they do that, right? And so coming back into a place of health is about recognizing those relationships and coming into a place of gratitude about those relationships and being in the present moment and walking in a way that we are in balance with those relationships. And that's what shamanism has always done. It's created a space where we can recognize through gratitude our relationship with that which appears to be beyond ourselves. Even as you said, if we do it experimentally, we don't really believe it, we're going through the motions. Going through the motions also gets us, gets us there. As Don Oscar says, take it till you make it, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's all we need to do. Um, when, we, when we get to that place where we recognize our relationship, we come back into balance. And that's really what health is. You can be, you know, you can be dying of cancer and you can be in awareness and recognizing your relationship with that which is beyond yourself. You can be aware of your wholeness, of your birthright, of wholeness. You can be completely empowered. You can also have symptoms along the way of what in the West we would call illnesses, but it's about that perspective. 
It's about where the mind is. It's about finding the greater purpose and the greater meaning. And it's about one of the key things that we talk about in this book is about recognizing the correspondence space between that which is within us and that which is without us, right? That yes. which is above us, that which is below us. Recognizing those correspondences helps us to recognize that as we come back into a place of balance in ourselves, recognizing where we are in relationship to one another, to ourselves, to the planet, to the cosmos, we are healing the planet. We are healing the cosmos. We are healing one another. As yeah. we heal ourselves, we feel that which is inside. Yeah, one of the um, quotes I like from your uh, one of the quotes I like from your your book that I wrote down here, it's very succinct. It says, uh, "Illness equals action without alignment," okay. and that that is you know very very succinct. And this again, to me, is a area of experimentation, and we have more and more people who are following, uh, trying out holistic cures, whether it's acupuncture or home or homeopathy or meditation or whatever the or, or energy healing is another example but okay. illness equals action without alignment in other words the way I interpret that is we don't understand the way of the world and we are disconnected from the source and therefore, we're going off off the rails. And this this is for those who want to. This is where experimentation has dividends, uh, in my opinion. Because if the experiment is successful, it means we're going to be healthier. And so, who doesn't want to be healthier? And I, so I, I always think, hey, it's this is worth it because uh, a lot of medical science cures, of course. They don't work. They treat symptoms. They don't heal the soul, which is a whole other topic. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Bonnie Glass Coffin, a professor of anthropology at Utah State University and the co-author of a book, Lessons in Courage, about Peruvian shamanic wisdom. Now, to get back a little bit to the illness thing, what what do you what would you tell somebody um in ter- to who wants to sort of try this out is it the same thing you you do the breathing the gratitude um is there is there something else for on the healing body side of things that mm-hmm. you can that you can um, advise the listener about mm-hmm. well um, absolutely. I think, as, as we've mentioned, the exercises that we have in the book are meant to sort of um, create a sense of consciousness that allows allows for that healing to occur. And probably the key um, is to be willing to engage in, um, I would say, rituals with with um, yourself, with, with the sacred objects that you have, with the planet upon which you walk and um, with other people in your community. Rituals that are really founded in, in gratitude, in offering, in just coming into a place of acceptance of the beauty and the blessings of the perfect moment, whatever those blessings may be. Yeah. And to recognize, you know, that um, pain may be inevitable, but suffering is not. 
suffering mm-hmm. is a choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can, we can still the chaos in our lives through intentionally um, walking in gratitude. And that's really the key. And again, I know that this all sounds a little bit abstract. That's why in the book we tried to put together some very practical things that we can do. And in the last chapter when we talk about healing the body, those um, exercises have to do with things like creating earth offerings. Um, uh, in, in the high Andes, they call them dispatchers, you know, which is simply uh, creating through the use of material items and, and, and offering, and you can do this in communities, that it brings everybody together both to have some fellowship but also to intend uh, to really um, reframe the way we're looking at the world uh, as a way that's consecrating uh, what we do and making offerings and offering gratitude. And so we, we have these earth offerings that may be building a despacho or creating what we call an apacheta, which is uh, a rock cairn as many ancient traditions, you know, played with stones and and built rock cairns intentionally in order to um, reflect our relationship to the earth. And so those are those are things that we talk about in the book as well. Yeah, a lot, you know, a lot of people, including myself, have have a problem with the ritual part of this, and it, you know, the ceremony and part of, and maybe it's because the, of upbringing. You know, most religions are based upon ceremonies, rituals. We don't realize them as, you know, we don't treat them as rituals. We don't realize we're going through them, but it's, but that's what they are. Um, for example, getting communion um, at church. It's a ritual, and and so. But what would you tell somebody who's hesitant about the ritual part of this? Is that the only way to, to make this work, or is there some something else that that someone could do uh, to to benefit from this without going through the rituals or the ceremonies? Right, right. Well, um, Joseph Campbell, you know, talked about finding your bliss. Yeah, right. right. I mean, that was one of the ways that he talked about, you know, reclaiming the sense of the sacred in ourselves and this connection. Right. And uh, certainly I think what rituals do for people is they create concrete sort of symbols, right, that right. we can attach meaning to that allows us to find our bliss, right? They're not necessary in and of themselves, but they can be good touchstones for getting into that space where you get your um, doubting Thomas mind out of the way by just practicing, faking it till you make it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really what it's about. You know, they're not, um, uh, the, the, the model is, you know, they're models, and we use models, uh, and we use them as ways of, of Attaching meaning, as I said before. Yeah. Um, well, when you think about it, even I was just, you know, as you were talking there, even in the business world, there's rituals, you know, mm-hmm. s- you know, sitting at desks, answering emails, uh, having the right clothes on, the right kind of paper, pen, going through the process. I mean, that it is, it is, it is a good point that there are there are rituals or or contexts in which mm-hmm. in which we do things, and and I I think that is. That does make sense to me. That in order to get yourself in the right frame of mind, uh, these these rituals um, 
these rituals might come in handy. Now, I, I want to move here as we're nearing the end to sort of the bigger picture here because, okay. because one, of, one of your interests, uh, it's, it seems to me, is, is how cross-cultural shamanism can improve our planet because that's clearly an important thing, uh, you know, bringing this beyond the individual, uh, okay. personal, let's call it enlightenment, and, okay. and uh, using it for, for the planet as a whole. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you think cross-cultural shamanism can affect our planet? Absolutely. Um, I'd like to start just by sharing a brief anecdote about how I sort of came to shift my own consciousness, okay. um, because it's, it, it, it's key for this. Um, and um, I, I was with Don Oscar um, at, at his home, and we were engaging in the ceremony. As I said, I've been studying shamanism a very long time without ever really getting it, right? Without right. ever really getting the power of it. And during the middle of the ceremony, he had me walk outside of his home in South Florida and just sit quietly in his backyard. And what happened was, aha, my aha moment. Because what I saw as I sat there for was that everything was completely ordinary, except that every plant, from the tallest coconut palm to the smallest blade of grass, was acknowledging my presence and honoring my presence. I began to bow to these plants. Right? right, and they began to bow back to me. And as I looked away, I could see every blade of grass, you know, sort of um, interacting with each other. This was eyes open. This was not. This this was not sort of some vision I was having, and you know, in, right. in, in my dream world. This was eyes open interaction, and every plant was sort of interacting with each other. And then when I moved back and looked at them and bowed, they all bowed at <laughs> me. I felt like I was a rock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and there were thousands of fans yeah. and everything I was doing, they were responding. Yeah. And what that did for me was it made me realize, you know, the, the, the foundation of the fact that I'm connected to something greater than myself and my actions have consequences. As I bow, as I respect, you know, I get that respect back. As I trample that grass, it has consequences. Right? And that really changed the way that I view my relationship to the planet, to the Earth. Made me think very, very much about how my actions, my carbon footprint, all of those other things. It's not just in the abstract about, oh my gosh, you know, carbon gases, you know, uh, uh, you know global warming, uh, climate change. But it was about, I am hurting a relative here. Right? Yeah. I am helping a relative. I am engaging in an act of, of communion with, um, with a bird of grass that has consciousness, that has sentience. And that, for me, was really the shift. And that really, again, that comes back to, not everybody's going to have that particular experience, but as we begin to walk intentionally and to look at nature intentionally, as Annie Dillard does in Pilgrim, you know, Pilgrim at Pinker Creek, which is a, a, a great book. If, if, if you haven't read it, it read it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what's it called again? Pil it's called Pilgrim at Pinker Creek. Okay, I think I've heard of it. Yeah. Annie Dillard, right? 
And what she does is she 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 basically strips away thinking and comes back to a place of sense, to a place of sensory interaction with the rocks, with the stream, with the trees, with the insects, with um, which which basically requires some deep observation. Yeah. And in doing that, we can't help but change the way we interact with the planet. Yeah. Which, of course, is going to have positive consequences. Right, and this right, and this this is where things get really exciting because we again, we could treat this all like an experiment, like we go off on this hypothetical journey, assuming that there's truth to this. In fact, not only that there is truth to this, but we assume that it is is true, and that there is a great originating mystery. Mm-hmm. or a source and that we're part of the source our goal is to align with it we're one with nature nature is an outgrowth of the source and experiences like yours and many others where you, where you have this epiphany and you realize the you know the power behind it i always think well imagine a world in line with the source and that's that I think is what makes it exciting and that we are we are so disconnected right now from each other and from nature things are actually better than they've been but we have a long way to go and I'm I'm optimistic however that there is going to be a a, a tipping point where this is where this whole idea is going to be more universally accepted and i think Mm -hmm. that then 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 things really really start um happening now the at the at the end of the day bonnie what would you what would you tell somebody as a takeaway here i mean reading reading your book lessons and courage is definitely one thing to do but but what else would you what else would you tell the listener who who maybe wants to experiment a little bit more or, or um, practice these these tips or these these concepts themselves? What what other what what would you tell them? Well, I think the takeaway messages of the book are receive life as it is, come into relationship with the blessings of the present moment trust that we have all that we need. Um, you know, those are those are really key uh, to shifting our perspective, right? As right. we learn how to embrace the beauty of the world in which we live and to re-empower ourselves to recognize our power as co-creators of that beauty. Yeah, and... You know? So I think that those are really some of the key messages and it's about entering into relationship, which we can't really do until we learn to embrace where we're at. Yeah. That's where we're at. Yeah, the way I do it uh, in, in, in my book, I have a new book coming out called The Collapse of Materialism. Mm-hmm. Visions of Science, Dreams of God. But one th- but the way I put it in that book is that we have to move from thinking the world's on autopilot to mm-hmm. to understanding that it's a manually driven mm-hmm. a machine or manually driven um, being that we have to take responsibility and it all begins it all begins with ourselves so 
at the end of the day, I think what we what we find here is that the first spiritual tradition, shamanism, really got it right. It seems to me that when we open our minds uh, to other other uh, traditions, other cultures, we 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 find that we're all part of one world and one and one spiritual tradition. And there's probably nothing that I think is that is as uplifting as this because we're because we realize that we're on this journey together um bonnie i'd like to thank you very much for your time uh it's been a quick invigorating show i think that uh you you really have a lot uh, of clear insightful things to say about shamanism now your website is what again it's bonnieglasscoffin.com well that's easy enough it's all run together bonnie glasscoffin.com yeah that's great and you uh, and folks you could uh, learn more about Bonnie uh, on that website and again uh, for the last time her book that she wrote with Don Oscar Miro Quesada uh, is called Lessons in Courage and again we could all learn something from shamanism I thought myself that it was it was it was you know some kind of strange belief system but but it, it, it comes down to really articulating in a different way truths that, that I think we all know and understand and can learn from. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 